Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute. And today we're talking to Christine Kane. Christine's a speaker, author, and activist who's been serving the local church globally for over 30 years. She and her husband, Nick, planted three Zoe churches in Europe and founded Equip and Empower, Propel Women, and the anti-human trafficking organization, the A21 Campaign. Christine's the best-selling author of more than a dozen books and studies. Her latest is Don't Look Back, Getting Unstuck, and Moving Forward with Passion and Purpose. But before we talk to Chris, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help us if you left us a review. Now let's go to Ed Setzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the incoming Dean at the Talbot School of Theology. Hey, did you notice that my badgering, Daniel, actually led to some reviews? And they were good reviews. They were good reviews. Uh, one of them. One of them said that uh, Daniel pretty much carries the show. That was one. I think yeah, your your, well, your well, wife put that one. That was my wife. It, yeah, that's yeah, right. It's good, but it was nice. It's true, but it's true. It's functionally accurate. So, so well, we're so good to begin this conversation. So, I'm actually in Australia while recording this. So, I'm living in the down land down under. So, I have been and I've been in Australia for longer this trip than Christine Kane has been in Australia in five years. So I thought that would be interesting. Christine's actually in my new place in, not my house, but in my new place in Southern California. So we're confused. And just for full disclosure, Christine and I actually served together at Mariner's Church. So we're excited to be serving alongside Eric Geiger there. And uh, and, and I, I kind of do scholar stuff. She does women leadership stuff and, and we both teach. And so, so we're super excited to have Chris on the program. Recent Wheaton College graduate as well. I could go on and on and on. We, we did this program together for years. And I, I think it kind of, I want to talk a little bit about that because, um, because I think in a sense, our conversation over dinner a few years ago was kind of a getting unstuck conversation. But again, just to remind everybody, Christine Kane is our guest. We're talking specifically about her new book, Don't Look Back, Getting Unstuck and Moving Forward with Passion and Purpose. So your the book here uh, looks at the problem of, well, getting stuck and specifically looking back, how looking back gets us there. And obviously, when you talk about looking back, you have really gone to Lot's wife as yeah. an example of looking back. So let's start there. Uh, what made you choose Lot's wife as the example? What can we learn from her? You know, thanks both Daniel and Ed. It's such an honor to be on the program. And, you know, this came out of, obviously, like so many things, in the middle of the pandemic, um, I was reading... Um, in, you know, the gospel of Luke and Jesus is talking about the end times, you know, there's this eschatological discourse in, and he's going on about the end times and right in the middle of it, it, I know it's always been there. It's just, I just saw it. Like I hadn't seen it before. It just said three words, remember Lot's wife. And because I felt at the time the world is burning down, as we know it, you know, so many things were changing, so many things were shifting. And I've been in women's ministry, Ed, for like 35 years. And I have spoken on, I thought most women of the Bible heard sermons about women in the Bible. And out of, you know, 170 women somehow alluded to in scripture, there is only one woman that Jesus tells us to remember, only one. And it's Lot's wife. And I thought, oh, my word, I have never heard a sermon on Lot's wife. So, of course, then I go to Genesis 19, I'm looking at Lot's wife, and then come to discover that there's not a whole lot of information about her except for the one thing, really, that we all know is that when Sodom and Gomorrah was burning down and the angel of the Lord said, don't look back, she did the one thing that she was told not to do. You know, she looked back and she became stuck. She became stuck and calcified 
in a place that she was only meant to be passing through. And why that really hit me and why a book ultimately came out of that was when I started traveling again after the pandemic and, you know, like I'm back here now doing this recording with you, Nick and I have just done, we've done 12 countries already this year. Um, And so we just do laps of the globe and we get to serve the church globally. It didn't matter what country I went to, what pastors I spoke to, what leaders I spoke to. After the pandemic, I would hear a version of the same phrase, which was, I just wish things would go back to normal, Christine. Or if we were talking about how is the church doing now, and we could be in 2022, 2023, every time, almost without exception, it would be prefaced with, well, do you want me to tell you how the church was before the pandemic? I mean, that would be always like this this caveat, our numbers before the pandemic, our giving before the pandemic, our programs before the pandemic. And I was sitting there. By the end of 2022, I'm thinking we are not in 2020 anymore. We're not even in 2021 anymore. And yet the mindset I found in so many pastors and leaders was, are things going to go back to normal? Can we get back to pre-2020? And their whole measure of ministry and KPIs and just church uh, health was all measured instead of BCAD, it was before pandemic, post pandemic. And I'm like, you something is, we've got to arrest this out of that. Then of course, that text and the study that I did. And then, you know, because I was um, at Wheaton with you, Ed, we had done so uh, many classes on organizational leadership. And I started to look at where do churches, organizations and leaders get stuck and found that we are in a moment in history right now that if we don't arrest this, so many people and pastors and churches and leaders are going to get stuck in a place we're not meant to get stuck because Jesus is pulling us forward to the future. And so really a lot of the book came out of this moment that we're in. Mm. You know, Christine, I mean, you've you've traveled quite a bit and you've spoken in a lot of different contexts. And I'm curious when you're meeting with church leaders, when they talk about how they feel stuck, like what are some examples that you hear that are prevalent of how most church leaders feel stuck? And why do you think those things are happening? Yeah, I think there's two answers maybe to that question. One is when I'm around older leaders, and I mean people my age and over, I'm, I'm 57, um, they are stuck in not knowing how to navigate this new world that we're living in. And so it would just be a lot more comfortable to go back to doing church as what was normal. And I'll, I'll use the pre-pandemic, post-pandemic kind of uh, plumb line for that. And so a lot of them are stuck with navigating the issues of today, um, the cultural issues, and just even where the world's at economically, politically, socially, environmentally. So they're stuck. Like, I don't know what to do. And I know this recent trip we just did throughout Europe, um, you know, you're seeing two things. You're seeing um, people that are stuck with how are we going to move forward? How are we going to navigate all of this? And other people that are stuck in the metrics that they had for measuring what is healthy church, how do we even define church, and the fact that the whole landscape has changed, and I think they're stuck in old paradigms and old methodologies. And so with a lot of that is like, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how do you measure healthy church? What do we do? Now, in Europe, it's not a case of the mass exodus from church because that's mostly happened. Um, But here in America, a lot of it would be, you know, people are leaving. Christine, people are not coming back and we don't know what to do. And so there's that sort of sense of stuckness of I don't know what to do. 
Yeah, we had, we did a podcast, and people can refer back to it with Dale Sellers on being stalled. And I think this is a theme. And so when you know when your book was coming out, I said we want to talk to Christine about this because I think you've described very correctly. I mean, literally, conversations. You know, pre-COVID, our attendance was so and so. And, uh, and I think there's the assumption that people are coming back. I wrote in my most recent, maybe the time before, the outreach uh, magazine editor's column, is time to face some facts. They're not coming back. And so that doesn't mean that some won't, but as a percentage, there were not all coming back to that level. Some churches experience different realities. So, so for in that situation, though, I mean, for a pastor, that's kind of a setback. So when there's a setback, how do we avoid a setback becoming a look back? And, and how ultimately do we find kind of the, 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 the way to look forward? Yeah, and I think the way to look forward first starts from the inside, um, looking in um, before you can look up and look forward. I think a lot of our looking back is because the truth is that we've got, this is a reckoning moment, I think for all of us in any um, realm of church leadership. And we have to look at what is it that we were wanting. Um, what you know, a, a lot of pastors I've heard the phrase, you know, Christine, I didn't sign up for this. Well, what exactly did we sign up for? <laughs> you know, um, it, it was Jesus died for us. We didn't die for him, and we we said we're going to follow you, Jesus. And just because we're in some form of vocational ministry doesn't exempt us from being followers of Jesus. So I think this reckoning moment where, for some of us. Um, we've gotten stuck in, there's, there's been a lot of hurt, there's been a lot of pain um, that has happened over this, especially the last three-year period. And so have we as leaders gotten stuck in perhaps um, disappointment, discouragement, unforgiveness, bitterness? I mean, there has been just so much divisiveness and so much pain. And we ourselves, as we've tried to lead others through it or navigate others through it, have gotten stuck. And when you're stuck internally, what should only be a setback does become more of a, you know, it could take you out if you're not careful. But I think this is a time for us to dig deep internally, um, maybe look at some things. And do you remember the two disciples that were um, on the road to Emmaus when they had, uh, you know, just didn't realize that Jesus had risen from the dead? Jesus is walking with them. He's with them. And they turned to him and they said, we had hoped. He was the one. And I'm wondering whether some of the places we've gotten stuck as leaders, and, you know, I lead a global ministry, we oversee churches. Um, all of us have hopes as pastors and leaders. Like we had hopes. And I'm wondering whether we've gotten stuck because we had hoped that by 2023 we would be in a different place. We had hoped people would be back. We had hoped giving would be back. We had hoped, what you know, insert whatever it is. Um and the fact is, it hasn't and it won't. So is our ultimate hope in Christ? Does that mean that his purpose for us, for our churches, for our leadership, for our ministries still prevails? If all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus, yes and amen, then the promises that are of God have actually not changed. We may be disappointed. Our situations may have changed. Our churches may look different. But the promise of God, the purpose of God, the call of God, none of that has changed. So to me, I think the looking back, it's almost like if we, if we want to use the metaphor even of Lot's wife looking back, she was looking back at a city that was burning. And of course, she'd be looking back. I mean, she had extended family there, friends there. I don't know. She could have renovated the kitchen for all I know. I don't know. She was look, looking back at a house. A, a lot of us could be doing that too. Like, you know, man, we just built this department. This had just happened. Um and you could spend your life looking back at that. And I think it's 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 very telling 
that scripture says that she was she turned into a pillar of salt. Now, whatever you think about that, I'll just use the metaphor that you and I are called to be the salt of the earth. If you and I get calcified and stuck in this moment, we are not going to be salting the earth in the future that we've been called to salt. So I think this is more serious than we think. We we as leaders, our people are going to get stuck if we get stuck. If we don't choose to look forward, fix our eyes on Jesus, on the promise of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus, then we are ourselves going to be stuck in discouragement and disappointment and despair, and so will our people. So we've got to look forward. So, Christine, I'm risking a little bit here, and I want to get a bit personal uh, because it's tempting to sometimes think, oh, Christine's got it all together and everything's happening. And But I, I'm curious, like, what are some ways personally that you've struggled with feeling stuck and then looking back and Maybe some of it was during the pandemic, but maybe some of it's been different parts of your life. And like, how do you relate to the to the topic personally? Oh, for sure. Well, I think at every point, um, and to be honest, the older you get, I think in some ways the easier it is to get stuck, stuck in different ways. Um, it, it, at this age, you can get stuck in the pursuit of comfort or ease or resting on your laurels or your past achievements or your past accomplishments. At this point, at 57, um, you know, sometimes I wake up and think, do I really want to keep going? I could pretty much ride the momentum of what Nick and I have built and, you know, it would be fine. So part of that stuckness can be not actually going full on until the end and running my race and finishing my course, whatever that might be. Um, at different times, I have felt stuck. You know, I I, am, I I sort of was launched into ministry in the 1990s before some of the people were born that are listening to this. And so, um, you know, it was a different day for women in ministry. You might think now is challenging for some women in ministry, but, you know, I'm, I'm a generation even older where there were, especially in Australia at my time, there were no women doing what I was doing. Um, and, you know, I was uh, in many tables, in many settings that I was at. Um, I was definitely always the first woman and most times the only woman um, right through. So a lot of that was I could have given up then and just gotten stuck in so much disappointment of being um, just dismissed or diminished or overlooked in many ways, purely because of gender and um, different people's preconceptions about where things are. Other times um, you can't be in ministry like I have for 35 years and not have made mistakes and failed along the way. Man, you can get stuck in that and allow a mistake to define you and to take you out. I think getting up after that is is always extremely challenging um, and difficult. And so I've had a couple of those in my life where I've just had to really um, lean on community and uh, find a strength by the power of the Holy Spirit to keep going when it just would have been easier to just tap out and go, it's too hard. Um, I think in, in that way, I think if you've got any kind of public profile like I have, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I just think I'd rather stick my head in the sand and, and you know, pull back. I think in the age in which we live in, pretty much uh, with social media, everyone has a public profile of sorts. And sometimes you just think, wow, it doesn't matter what I get up and say on Sunday, Half the people are going to like it. Half the people aren't going to like it. And the people that aren't even part of my church that are listening to this are going to have an opinion on it. And you just think, wow, this is very difficult. So I think we've got many different ways uh, that we can get stuck. And I think for me, there it's not a being unstuck is not a personality thing, Daniel. And I think a lot of people, it's not an Enneagram number. You know, they think, oh, man, you're just this number on the Enneagram or you fit this profile on a disc profile. It is a decision 
to remain faithful to the call of God. I think that's what it comes down to because we all have different things that could trip us up, that could derail us, but we all have them. That's the thing is that just because, you know, I um, may have a, a, a strong speaking gift, it, you know, that's not my entire personality. That's not the fullness of everything that I am. Um, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a human being that has emotions that um, can be taken out. Uh, I don't like it, you know, like anybody else. If someone doesn't say something nice about you, no one likes to not be liked, you know. So I think all of those things um, can serve to to make us stuck. And in my own case, I think even bringing in my own background, I, I come from a background of I was, you know, the childhood victim of sexual abuse. I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when I was born. I was adopted and didn't find out till I was 33. So I had a lot of early childhood trauma um, that very much shaped, definitely it's been used to help build the ministry that we have today, but it um, gave me an Achilles heel in my soul realm and my emotional realm. And um, I'm, I've been greatly healed by Jesus, but I'm not so healed that I don't need Jesus. You know, it's not like that uh, this side of eternity, um, there are always, you know, I'm, I'm having to overcome internal things like everyone else, the fight against, you know, shame, guilt, despair, disillusionment, disappointment, unforgiveness, bitterness, all of the same things that are normally internal issues. Um, they are the things that could make me get stuck, I think, more than anything else. I think it's fascinating, though, to the way you tie in the internal issues to getting stuck, and I and I think ultimately so much of the battle is internal, and it's it's for it's for us to say how do we how do we keep moving forward in some sense, or how do we press on to what's next? Let's let's do a little more personal, if that's okay, because uh, I thought it was fascinating that I mean you just said you're 57. Last time we talked, you said you're 56, so you had a birthday. So happy birthday! No, it's um, in September, but I'm just speaking it in advance. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. You know that's what teenagers do. Like if you ask a teenager. How old are you? Well, I'm almost 14. At our age, we don't say I'm almost the next yes, year. Yes, we do. I'm taking it back. You're taking it back. Here you go. Okay, you're you're not stuck. You're moving forward. I like that. Um, so, but you know, it was just what five years ago uh, when we sat down and you decided to do a master's degree. And and you know, a lot of people, you know, as as everyone probably knows, I'm in transition. We'll be we'll be launching wonderful cohort based master's degrees for for women, men, leaders. Um, but you you we we launched this thing at Wheaton, ongoing still at Wheaton where women come in through the Propel partnership, but you did that. You didn't just say, let's do that. So what, I mean, I, you know, maybe recap a little bit of our conversation, but that's not the main point of it, is what made you decide to take four years in your 50s doing a master's degree, and how does that relate to getting unstuck? Yeah, I think what happened was I, you know, you and I had extensive discussions, but I was seeing so much happen and the world changed so radically. And I thought, because... I helped to influence a lot of, uh, you know, a generation of younger women through just all the things that I've been doing for decades. I, th I thought more than ever, theological education is so important because the world is changing so quickly. And because with the, obviously the advent of social media, it's a different world than the world that I was growing up in. There was no internet when I was called to ministry. So our formation, we, we had a whole different way of being formed and there was um, a lot more 
places to be able to make mistakes and to grow that were not as visible, whereas nowadays everything is just out there. And, you know, we've got a lot of young people saying things at 22 that are going to be on the internet forever that at 40, they're going to wish that they never said and did. Well, you know, when I was 22 starting in ministry, there was no internet. So there's that. That's very helpful. And so I think with a lot of shifts, I realized two things. Number one, I've got a 21-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old daughter. If I wanted to continue to be able to speak um, into the next generation and be effective, then I knew I had uh, the world had outgrown me and my ability to be relevant unless I did some very serious digging deep to see how things are shifting and how things are changing. Now, I could rely on my gift to go, okay, I've been doing this for 30 years and I could just keep doing it, but I don't know how effective that would have been. Um, and the other thing is I wanted to model to women my age and older that you, you're not done until you die. If you woke up this morning and you're still breathing, God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. Who said that life has to finish at 50. Who said that your best days are behind you and not ahead of you? Caleb said at 85, I'm as strong now as I was then. He said to Joshua, give me this mountain. So I thought while I'm still alive, I want to keep growing. I want to keep learning and I want to go first. So I want to say to older women, it's not too late. I want to say to younger women that if I had had the opportunity um, I wish I had done this younger. I wish I, you know, then I would have probably made a few less mistakes in some things that I said and did because I would have had a better educational grounding. And if you have the capacity and the ability to do that, it's a great thing. And I, I came from a particular sector of the church that probably looked down at any sort of seminary or theological training. It was sort of like, you know, if you're gifted by the spirit, go for it. You don't want to go to cemetery and have your, you know, your, your whole faith die. So it was to me a way of saying, look, I've seen excesses on both sides and I tend to uh, be in that broad middle. And so if we could bring together the fire and the passion of the spirit with um, the, you know, great truths of scripture and bring spirit and truth together, then that is really important. And I think the way forward um, is it, to do that. And so who knew, Ed, that we would start that? We'd have 150 women in cohorts. I mean, we, you know, it, it, who knew that so many women were waiting for it? But I think um, it shows that you're never too old to keep learning and you're never too young to learn. <laughs> like it's very important. Like, you know, I think we, we, we're being sort of some of our theological formula, for, you know, formation is happening with 19-year-olds on TikTok with a dancing Bible. I think maybe we just need a little bit more um, robust theology in the midst of all of that. And and I have grown so much. I mean, I, I've learned. I also read something by Billy Graham um, which really, it was all around that time. And I had read something that he said, if he had his time over, the one thing that he would do was preach less and study more. And that just made me think I was turning 50. And I thought, you know what, I've had a privilege, few people have, you know, I've preached in 59 countries around the world and in arenas around the world, like all over in so many, every continent. Um, and I thought I've done what many people have never have the opportunity to do. And yet, if this is it, then it has outgrown me. And so I need to grow um, in order to be able to minister into the future, really, and the future generations. And I thought if Billy Graham said he wishes he studied more, 
then I better <laughs> I better learn from that. That's really. Yeah, I, might, I might add two Wheaton College graduates now, Christine Kane and Billy Graham. Just wanted to, <laughs> to work that in there as well. And and exciting things we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about in the future. Exciting things we continue to offer opportunities as as well. Daniel, go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you know, Christine, I don't know if you subscribe to like the decades of life that this happens in your 20s and this happens in your 30s and 40s and so on. But I'm going to take this opportunity because I'm 43 to get some wisdom. I'm not saying you all are older than me, but, you know, I want to get wisdom for the next decade. (laughs) But for those who are just for the record, we both turn 57 in September. So we're going to have. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So there's this like unified wisdom that you guys can bring to this question then. Um, so for those who, let's say they've done ministry for 15, 20 years, uh, in their, in their 40s, like me, mid-40s, and there's the tendency to know, you're, you know you're good at some things, you know you're not going to do some, other, some things anymore, but you don't know what's, in, what's ahead of you. And so it's the unknown, like, I don't know what my 50s are going to be. My, people say that those are the, that's the decade of significance in a lot of ways, but I don't know how to get the significance. So I might just keep doing what I'm used to doing. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, entropy that comes with that. And so I, I feel that. I know a lot of my peers in their 40s, they feel that. And so what would you say to those who are in this decade of life where they don't know what's in front of them, so they're tempted to just keep doing what they're good at right now? Right. If, you know, for what it's worth, I, I didn't even start A21 till I was in my 40s. And didn't even start propel um, until 50. So, you know, and I'm thinking this might freak you out. I don't think I'm actually yet doing the thing that God's put me on the earth to do. So, and if but if the data is right, by God's grace, our most fruitful years um, are between 60 and 70, then 70 and 80, and 50 and 60 is number three. So it's your most fruitful years. If we don't blow it and stay on path and and follow the Lord, doesn't mean we're perfect. We all make mistakes, but I mean, you know, but stay on path with a pure heart. Um, I think I'm still expecting that my most fruitful decade is the one coming up in three and a half years, Ed, not three years, in three and a half years. I'm thinking, and I felt 50 to 60 was to be a preparation for my 60 to 70 and should Hmm. I live 70 to 80. And so in a sense, in my 40s, when A21 came into the mix, which I didn't even know human trafficking existed. So this is what I say to people, don't get too locked into what you're good at because the thing that I'm probably most known for I didn't even know existed in my 30s and early 40s, you know. And so then look what the Lord's done. And we're now in 19 cities, 15 countries and, you know, doing amazing things. And so I think a lot of it comes to I do believe things happen in decades. Okay, there's a lot of data that shows that, but I just never want to be limited by it. Um, I think that it's it's a bit like Enneagram and it's a little bit like, you know, personality profiles. They're a great guide, but they're not, they don't have to determine the state of everything. And I think I, I'm cognizant of them, but I'm not subject to them because I think scripture shows a lot of, you know, a few people that had very profound, significant influence had it later in life as well, as long as they didn't give up and keep going. And the truth is, do we want to be known for what we're good at or do we want to be known for having faithfully followed the Lord to the end? And so I think the calling issue is what comes up again. I feel like I'm in that now is like, am I going to be faithful to the core? I was not necessarily called to a particular task or a particular place. I was called to follow Jesus and he's given me gifts and talents that have expressed themselves in different ways at different times for his purposes, I pray. So then 
now as I've accumulated that wisdom, a, a different level of skill, a breadth of experience, if I just tried to limit it to what I was doing in my 20s, 30s, 40s, I mean, I was doing arenas around the world. I was, I mean, if I, if I just limit it to that, then perhaps my most effective ministry, I'm going to miss it. And then I think is where you end up. Uh, we've seen a lot of really not good handovers in the last few years. We've seen a couple of good ones, but mostly transitions have not been great in my experience of what I've seen around the world. Because what happens is somewhere when people hit their 50s, they, if they haven't decided ahead of time, I'm willing to go with Jesus, however this is going to go, and I'm willing to step out of the boat and stay in faith, you've gotten so much of your identity and security and significance from what you've done, what you're good at, what you're known for, what you've built. Honestly, by the time you get to 60, you say you're going to hand it over. But I'm, I'm watching that when push comes to shove, it's very difficult to let go. And then things get really messy. Whereas I have lived with a transition mindset all the time. So I try to put myself, when I say out of a job, um, out of the center seat. As By the time we've launched, I'm already putting strategic people to the point that A21 is one of the most recognized anti-trafficking organizations in the world. I hold no formal role in it at all at this point. And it would, if I, if the Lord was to take me home tomorrow, it would flourish and continue to go ahead. Propel is about a year away from being there. And so already I'm like not freaking out um, because it's like, I'm living with one foot on water all the time going, okay, Jesus, a little bit like Peter, um, where are we going now? So I would be saying to you guys in your forties, give it all you've got. I had a fantastic 40 to 50, um, but I didn't get my identity from everything and it would have been really limiting. And I had had the opportunity to have seen some amazing things happen by the time I hit 50, but I'm, I'm loving it even better in my fifties. Love it. Love it. Super helpful. Okay. So, um, a lot of the kind of conversation about being, uh, stuck or, uh, you know, unstuck is a lot of people aren't aware that they're stuck. You know, I think even when you were kind of framing this conversation at the beginning, we were talking about maybe churches who were saying, you know, well, pre-COVID we were, and 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 I really like that because I think people probably heard that and said, you know, maybe that's me, maybe I'm kind of stuck. Uh, when you write that it's more, uh, that, that some people not being aware they are stuck is actually more dangerous than actually being stuck. How can people identify that they're not moving forward in some areas of their lives? What would that look like? I, for me, it looks like being courageous enough to have the right people around you to tell you because the fact is everyone around you knows that you're stuck and I have found that in life is that most people if, if you're especially if we're talking in terms of church leadership um, you know we've got people around us it's when we when we stop being willing to listen or inviting wise counsel into our lives um, that is when you know, we we no longer see whether we're stuck and we can keep, we can be looking, you know, you've got a dashboard in a car. If you're not checking the right gauge, then, um, and, and I think pastors, we can become really good at checking the wrong gauge, you know, and, and making it sound really spiritual. And so it's very important to have people around us that are saying, look, you've got to check the right gauges. And this is, you know, God's metric of whether we're moving forward or not. And so I think, I certainly in our life and in our ministry, both Nick and I um, have got a phenomenal executive team. 
And we invite, very readily invite, and not just from younger, although definitely 90% of our people, 95% of our people are younger than us. That's what happens when you get to this age. But also from older, wiser people um, because, you know, in an effort to get unstuck sometimes, leaders can do really unwise things. I mean, you don't have to move every needle at the same time overnight because suddenly you realise, oh, no, I've been stuck, and so tomorrow I'm going to change everything. I mean, you've got people you've got to bring with you. Uh, you've got bills that you've got to pay. There are certain things that have to happen. So I think the wisdom is in inviting the right counsel and being courageous enough to say to people around you, where are we stuck? We, we, you know, what... what um, what metric on the dashboard, what gauge am I not looking at that I should be looking at? And I think we have to be willing. Uh, I mean, it, it, again, I, Ed, I keep coming back to the internal and I don't think it's just because I'm a woman. I think it's just because it's it's true leadership is that the degree to which we're willing to go, okay, this is really uncomfortable. This is really painful. Often we get stuck in things that we're really attached to. Uh, I'm attached to the way I do this. I'm attached to how this looks. It's got a lot of history with it. Um, and so we're just not unwilling to let go. And the point is that while we're going to keep hanging on to things that we think are important, but truly from a kingdom perspective and from the church moving forward perspective, they're not important. Um, I think sometimes we mistake our preferences for God's will. And that's what gets us stuck. Yeah. The, um, I see, I see a lot of people who are stuck in kind of interpersonal relationships, um, even marriages, people get, um, people get stuck. And uh, so, so much of this is applicable in so many different areas of our lives if we'll, be, if we'll be open. Again, the title of the book is Don't Look Back, Getting Unstuck and Moving Forward with Passion and Purpose. Now, I'm just thinking, even as we're preparing for this interview, Don and I are empty nesters now. Uh, that's a whole different phase, you know, and we're having to find new ways of thinking. We're uh, moving forward with passion and purpose, but there's also some loss to some of those things. We're right, right now, we were in the middle of this transition and uh, we feel that, you know, we feel, we don't feel stuck. We feel, un, you know, we feel unmoored at the moment, but, but, uh, but, you know, part of that is even stepping out in faith in these things. So, but what I'm going to get to is for us, the relational uh, work has, you know, I've been married to five different women they're all named donna stetzer you know and and you know she's been married to five different men they're all named ed stetzer but each time we can't get stuck in patterns because as we change we got to change as well so talk to us about relationally with spouses with children with family members with friends for sure and i'm glad you said that because one whole chapter deals with the need to mourn um yep. because often we get stuck because we don't know how to mourn or we don't know how to lament and so i'm not dismissing the pain involved in change and especially in these last few years there's there's been so much pain and so much heartache and people that have just said man i'm just going to go for the grind i'm going to go forward well they've gotten stuck because they've collapsed because there was no mourning there was no lamenting and scripture certainly gives us a precedent the, the, for mourning and lamenting but i think um in our i just think if we're in christ we're supposed to be growing all the time anyway. You know, we're not meant to be comfortable this side of eternity. We're not meant to settle this side of eternity. We're, we're supposedly um, supposed to be being transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus, which means so in our marriages, I agree with you, Nick would say he's probably had 10 women, all with my name and being me, that he's been married to because we are so committed and even as part of our wedding vows, this is how crazy we are. We said way back in Australia, we got married in a uniting church back in Australia where you are now. And um, 
we said, um, we prefaced our vows with saying, we're a little bit nervous saying these vows, which made everyone in the congregation very nervous, um, because the person that is saying these vows today is not going to be the same person five years from now. And that person oh, wow. is not going to be the same. We actually put that into our wedding vows. Um, because we And we celebrated 27 years marriage yesterday. And we just laughed and said, um, thank God we said that because here we are now at our age and we're both committed to growing and to changing. And, you know, Nick's taken up mountain biking and I do hiking and off we go. And we, we brought different things into our marriage, different um our friend groups have changed as we've changed. I think if you're not willing to, uh, if you just have to have everything the same all the time, same people around you, same experiences, then you're just going to get into a rut. But I think even as followers of Jesus and as leaders, we of all people ought to be more committed to changing, to growing, to learning. And, to, and I think that's part of the abundant life that Jesus talks about. If we can model that practically for our people, then our people are going to take the risk to keep stepping out and keep doing it. And I think relationships can get stagnant. And what's happened in the last three years, I think where a lot of us have gotten stuck, is because there has been so much division and so much chaos and so many people have lost relationships and lost the stability of some things that we had. And it's now time. And I think I wrote this in the book when I said, okay, we've got to mourn that. We, we all have to own it. All of us have lost friends, family members. I mean, so much has happened, um, even to literal death. I mean, you know, so much loss has happened. But there comes a time, and I think this is where we're at right now as leaders, that you remember um, was, uh, the Lord came to Samuel and he said, yeah, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? Um, he came to Joshua and he said, Moses, my servant is dead. I, I feel like right at this moment and part of writing this book was for me to say to some leaders, it's time. It, it, how long are you going to mourn? How long? Um, God's finished with what was done. It's done that way. And you're not being disloyal to the past by moving into the future. It's just a new day. The, tech, the spiritual tectonic plates of the planet have shifted. God's doing a new thing. We're seeing snippets of it. I know we've all talked about it, you know, snippets of revival here. In every country I go to, you see a glimpse that the Lord's moving. And when he said to the prophet Isaiah, do you not perceive it? I think that's what's happening. If we get stuck, we're going to miss the new thing that God's doing on the earth right now. And we didn't sign up to miss it. We signed up to be part of it. And so I think for some of us listening to this right now, the word of the Lord would be, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? It, it's a new day. We've got to move on. Yeah, the the uh, you, you talked a little bit in there about um, relationships. And the mourning, I think, is a key part. You actually see it in the book. But uh, one of the chapters in the book is don't go it alone. And I don't remember the exact words, what you said, but something like friends are part of God's plan. And you talked about we're mourning you know, the past, last few years. We've lost relationships in this. But the reminder is, is that you know part of getting unstuck is do it in community with other people. Why is that so important? Well, I don't think we were ever designed to do it alone. And I think what the world's shown us <laughs> and the Lord's shown us very clearly through what's happening on the earth is that we were we just don't do well by ourselves. And uh, he created us for community. And I think as leaders, we, you know, I just don't. Um, ascribe to the philosophy that leadership has to be lonely and you have to do it alone. I've, certainly there are 
alone moments that within that with you and God. And that's just the way it is. And there are times you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. There's no doubt, but that shouldn't be the norm. I, I don't think that is how we go about life. I mean, look at me, I go to grad school. It's like, uh, I'm doing it in a cohorts. That's it. I'm doing my cohorts got 20 and every woman in that cohort just about was younger than me, young enough to be my daughter. Um, and then, you know, whatever we start, whether it's a 21 propel, our churches, it's like we're doing this in community, serving at Mariners like I do. You know, um, we're in small groups. We do it in community because I I don't see it as a sign of weakness. I see it as the only way that we could fulfill our call. And just in my experience and, Ed, in my sphere of influence, uh, so many of the, you know, just tragic falls in leadership that I, I've just seen in the last few years um, in each case that I'm aware of, the leader truly did isolate themselves and just uh, no longer was in community. I mean, like you can look like you're in community when you're on a platform and a video is going out and it looks like there's a church congregation, but inside they were alone. There was no good friends around to really pick them up, to keep them, you know, going in the right direction, to call them out, to challenge them. Once you isolate, the Bible says, you know, that a person that isolates themselves rages against all wise judgment. And so I think from a leadership perspective, uh, it can be very damaging because at least I've got enough people close to me that if I'm starting to display any patterns that, you know, just could take me off track, there are people that can very quickly come in and go, you know what, we need a course correction here, or you need to look at or address certain things. Um, if you're isolated, that's not going to happen. And then when there becomes a disparity between your inner world and your external world, your world will collapse. And I think I've seen that a lot. A lot of people have burnt out because they feel so lonely um, because they have just forgotten the art of cultivating friendships. And I think we've got to take a degree of responsibility for that because the Bible says that he, you know, that if you're friendly, you'll have friends. The person that's got friends will be friendly. So I think part of the earnestness, you know, you came down, you changed states. We were sort of neighbors, you know, within the same county. And it's like, okay, uh, we're both extremely busy. We're both on opposite sides of the globe most of the time. So, but our spouses, we we want us, we want to be community. So let's find a time to go paddleboarding. Let's find a time to do dinner. And if you, if you and Donna, and Nick and I can work that out with our schedules. Anybody can do that. So I think it just has to be a priority. You know, the uh, the Lord says, uh, remember Lot's wife, and that was the Luke 1732 verse. But then immediately he says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses it will will keep it. And I think there are a lot of leaders listening who they probably have that conviction, uh, Christine, that it's time. It's time to move forward. It's time to to look forward, but practically they feel paralyzed. What are some of the things that you can say practically? These are the these are the ways to start taking the next steps to becoming unstuck. What does it look sure. like practically? And I, and I think it's a broad question because it depends where people are at. Let me just say even in, in my life, part of it was sort of just taking responsibility for my own physical condition. So I'm going I'm to get like as practical as you can get now. So it was like, you know what, Chris? Um, you're getting in a post-COVID kind of rut. So that's where I started hiking mountains. It was like, I'm going to clear time in my schedule um, and I'm going to start with me. I'm going to start with getting my physical strength back, getting my physical body back in order, getting outside in nature and 
And then I found a whole new group of people. I started hiking with seven people that don't do what I do. And that in itself was the beginning of going, okay, now I, I've, I've got the headspace and I feel like I've got the physical strength, a bit of vitamin D on my skin again. I mean, this is all just practical, that I can come back and Nick and I would come back to our organization and go, okay, some things have got to change because the world's changed. So moving forward, um, then I found that as I had the physical strength, um, then I was able to begin to, imp- to to look at the whole organization and go, what needs to begin to change? And then just do one thing at a time. And I think a lot of us are daunted because if we're honest, we know about 20 things that need to change. Like we really do. And it's just so daunting to go, how is this going to happen? How am I going to pay for it? I'm going to lose more people or what's going So you just, I think you've got to pick the next thing. So maybe give yourself a, a three, a 90 day goal and then go to, you know, maybe um, a six month and a year and just every day do that next one thing. And I think that is going to begin to just start to get momentum going forward. Uh, don't be overwhelmed by trying to do everything all at once. And and I, I understand saying this, people are at different degrees of it, but there are a lot of people that are, are literally in a holding pattern right now. Yeah, no, I to- totally agree. And I, and I would say, you know, not to quote Frozen 2, but do the next right thing. It just makes perfect sense. And I, I think I think sometimes we feel that sense of paralysis. You know, as a writer, you know, I'm actually here on this writing retreat. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, man, I just don't, and, and, you know, you write books way faster than me, but I'm just stuck and I'm stuck and I'm stuck. What do I need to do? I need to do what's next right. Just do the next right thing. Um, okay, well, we, we, we kind of run out of time, but we got time for, for, for one more question. There are obviously benefits for moving forward in healthy ways. You know, we, the, the unstuck being frozen uh, obviously has its problems, but you also kind of, you speak of some of the benefits of moving forward in healthy ways. What are some of those? What are the benefits? Well, the benefit, I think you get your zeal back, you get your life back, you get your passion back. It's um, the greatest benefit. Of course, there's all the benefits to the church. If someone's a church leader or your ministry or your organization, there's the organizational benefits, but it, it gets life back in. I think nobody, if you're any kind of leader, you got into leadership because you wanted to see things change. You wanted to help you know, get people united around a compelling vision and help them move forward. And so there is nothing more debilitating to a leader than to have that sense of, I'm in a holding pattern, I'm stuck, I have no vision. I mean, it's just self-perpetuating. The spiral just takes you down. So I think when you start getting some momentum and you start taking some steps forward, you start getting some wins under your belt again. You're remembering why you're in this in the first place. I think no matter who you are in leadership, the last few years have been brutal because of just there's been one, two punches like nonstop on every front. And so you, a lot of people, for want of a better phrase, are feeling a bit punch drunk. So to start getting up and moving forward finally and and, and then just going, okay, I, I wasn't hit this time, and, and you start getting that momentum and you start moving forward, I think um, it gets back to our God-given purpose. We were called and we said yes to Jesus for this whole purpose. And I think once you get your the wind under your sails again, you, you get that momentum happening again, all the other pieces start to come together. And I think until you start moving, we, you know, all of us that have led have always used that analogy, you know, God can steer a moving ship or whatever, a moving car better than something that's standing still. I think we need to apply that to our own lives is yeah. that we're expecting, Lord, move me on, but I'm, I'm stuck here. And he's like, would you take a few steps and then get some momentum back 
And I think out of that, of course, big picture, the kingdom benefits, um, you know, the the vision and the mission um, moves forward. And I just think that we're in a moment right now that uh, we need to do it because the world will move on and life will move on and there's a whole bunch of people coming through. So the Lord's work, he's going to build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against that. Um, We just get a choice. Do we still want to be part of this? And I think that's the big issue. You're listening to Christine Kane, and we've been talking about her latest book, Don't Look Back, Getting Unstuck and Moving Forward with Passion and Purpose. You can learn more about her at christinecain.com. And thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as, well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, we found our conversation today helpful. We'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.